If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Restriction rollback. The restrictions with respect to social gatherings and public events will be lifted. The protections we no longer need and the rules that will remain in place. Assaults on a popular trail. Turn around. Turn around. What happened when the victim confronted her alleged attacker? And finally, some closure in a very cold case. The credit must be given to the many investigators who came before me and vowed never to give up. How the babes in the woods have been identified seven decades after their deaths. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC has definitely turned a corner in the pandemic, dropping some of the restrictions that have kept people apart for months. It's a glimmer of hope for those eager to get back to pre-COVID normalcy. But as Richard Zussman reports, two major public health orders remain. It is a sense of deja vu, COVID-19 restrictions easing in BC, but this time a hope from provincial health it will be the last time. You will make your own decisions based on your risk and the risk in your family. Omicron-specific rules disappearing. As of 11.59 p.m. Wednesday, there will be full capacity for organized events, including sporting events and concerts. Weddings and funeral receptions will now be allowed again. We're excited to have, uh, starting this Saturday, our, first, our home game, uh, 100% capacity. A lot of things that we thought we were scared to even ask for. We, we, we set the bar pretty low. So as an industry, there's a lot of celebrating happening. Nightclubs will be allowed to reopen. There will be no table limits and mingling will be allowed at restaurants and bars. And dancing is back. After two years of battling this pandemic, it finally feels like victory. We finally turned the corner. You can go back to mingling and dancing and not having group size restrictions. And uh, industry is very excited. Masking will continue to be required in all indoor events. The BC vaccine card remains in place. The province also keeping in COVID-19 safety plans, restrictions on long-term care visitation, K-12 and child care guidelines, and restrictions on faith services. While every province from Quebec to Alberta has announced plans to drop the vaccine cards, BC is still sticking with it. All of these policies set to be reviewed in mid-March and again in April just before Easter. The vaccine card uptake in British Columbia was swift and it was overwhelming and uh, it gives people comfort. There will be challenges enforcing the rules, especially when it comes to wearing masks on dance floors at hockey games and at weddings. People speak with their comfort level and uh, we expect people to do that and to manage their own risk. We have done a lot of work with uh, you know, doing public service announcements and with our staffing and, and uh, I think people have learned how to live with masks. Public health expects COVID-19 to remain in our community for years, but what won't remain are disruptive restrictions. I don't believe we will have to go back to broad societal measures um, unless something dramatically different happens. Boring the drama, the province preparing for new variants and case surges in the fall, targeting policies towards those who are most at risk 
and not keeping everyone away from the things and people they love. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. And more signs of pandemic progress. The federal government is scrapping the pre-arrival PCR test requirement for fully vaccinated travelers. Jordan Armstrong joins us with more on the changes Ottawa announced today. Jordan. And Sophie, these changes could make March break vacations more affordable for those who've already booked. That PCR test, as you know, is expensive. And before today, many families were budgeting hundreds of dollars more for a trip. So... Let's break down the new rules. For pre-entry travelers coming to Canada, you'll still need to show a negative COVID test. But as of February 28th, the less expensive rapid antigen test administered by a lab technician and taken within 24 hours of arrival will be accepted. Upon arrival, the rules will be changing for vaccinated travelers. As of the end of the month, vaccinated travelers will only have to be tested at the airport on arrival if they're randomly selected. Also, they will no longer have to quarantine while they're waiting for results. For unvaccinated travelers, no change. They will still have to be tested and they'll still have to quarantine on arrival. The other big change is for children 11 years old or younger who are not fully vaccinated. If traveling with vaccinated adults, they will no longer have to quarantine before going back to school or daycare. Again, there's no change if they're traveling with unvaccinated adults. If Canadians continue to get their booster shots, further easing of travel restrictions could be considered in the coming weeks. So, Jordan, these changes are obviously welcome news for the travel industry. Indeed, Sophie, industry leaders have been calling on Ottawa to loosen restrictions. And a matter of fact, just yesterday, they sent an open letter to the prime minister. Claire Newell with Travel Best Bets calls it a great day for anyone working in her industry. Could it have been better? Maybe. Uh, it would have been nice to see no pre-departure tests like the UK has done for anyone who's fully vaccinated coming into Canada. But we'll take this because an antigen test is so, so much cheaper. But she does remind travelers, make sure it is the correct antigen test. It has to be done through a pharmacy, lab or telehealth professional. Home tests that don't come with any documentation aren't going to work. Also, while you should save money on testing, airline and hotel prices are going up by the hour. Newell says one route to Mexico is up $300 per person, and that's just since Friday. Sophie? Travel industry uh, getting back on its feet again. Thanks, Jordan. Is it ever. All right, now let's check BC's COVID-19 numbers, and it's a short list today due to Fraser and Vancouver Coastal Health Switching to a new system, so today an accurate picture of new and total cases isn't known. But what we can tell you is that 787 people are in hospital with COVID and 124 of those patients are in the ICU. And there have been two more deaths recorded due to complications of the virus. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now for more on BC's easing of restrictions and how we got here. Keith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so of course, health officials look at a number of health indicators when determining whether or not we ease restrictions. And basically, for the last few weeks, the arrows have been pointing in the right direction. I've been reporting on hospitalizations and positivity rate, and it's going the right way. So take a look at the positivity rate, which is the percentage of tests coming back positive for COVID-19. It's been declining. BC, it's 14%. That's down almost seven percentage points since January 31st. Vancouver, Coastal, and Fraser, very low numbers compared to where we were just a couple weeks ago. Much higher in the interior, but it's 
it's at least it's coming down by almost six points in two weeks. Vancouver Island's still a high number, but again, on the decline. One worry point is the north continues to have a very high positivity rate. But of course, there's fewer people in those bottom three health authorities than the two up top. So again, Metro Vancouver, about nine and a half percentage points in terms of the positivity rate. Very encouraging. The other ones to look at are hospitalizations and the death rate. That one on the left there, that's the hospitalization rate. That red line is BC. We're at the nearly at the bottom. Only Ontario is below us compared to the other six big provinces. On the right, again, BC at the bottom there. Only Saskatchewan has a lower uh, death rate than, uh, than British Columbia. Again, the arrows are pointing in the right way. Dr. Bonnie Henry addressing our hospitalization situation today. We have managed to keep our hospitalizations lower so that we can spread them out and manage and not overwhelm our health care system. And that's because of the measures people have taken to, to protect themselves and others. There was another chart comparing B.C. to the rest of the world in Dr. Henry's presentation today. Again, B.C. at the bottom compared to places like France, the U.K., Denmark, and the United States. Our hospitalization situation is a much better situation than in many places that are opening up far, to far greater extent than British Columbia is. Yeah, she and the Premier gave all the credit to people in B.C. who did the right thing and got yep. vaccinated. Yeah, all right. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, traffic is now flowing through the Pacific Highway border crossing after RCMP made a dozen arrests last night to remove the remaining protesters. But as Grace Key reports, there is still a heavy police presence there to keep another blockade from forming. What are you? It was a tense standoff. At about 8.30 Monday night, police formed a line and moved in on the protest. About 100 people had gathered near the Pacific Highway border crossing. Police arrested 12 people for mischief and intimidation, bringing the total number since Sunday to 16. A few blocks away on 8th Avenue, some vehicles were towed while others packed up their belongings and drove away. The arrests made last night at the Pacific Highway crossing were a part of an operational plan that was in place prior to the enactment of the Emergency Act. Um, so all arrests made last night were under existing authorities and not related to any emergency um, authorities. For three days, commercial traffic had to be diverted, but by midnight, you feel good crossing? Be good. the first truck crossed the border. By morning, there was one lone protester off to the side. Officers set up barricades and a checkpoint before allowing vehicles to go through. Drivers were being questioned about their travel plans. So you can expect that there will still be some delays if you are trying to access that border crossing. And that is just to ensure that we are able to monitor the situation to ensure that it all remains accessible. Freedom! Freedom! Protesters started gathering at the Pacific Highway border crossing over the weekend. At one point, some trucks jumped a median and breached a police barricade. Officers also formed a line asking protesters to leave. Even like I said, we're asking nicely once. Police are expected to remain on scene to ensure roads remain open and traffic continues to move across the border. Grace Key, Global News. And just hours after traffic started moving over the Pack Highway border crossing, another convoy set out in that direction. About 25 vehicles, including one big rig, departed Prince George on Tuesday morning, bound for the border. The convoy has been planning to make stops in Quinell, Williams Lake, 100 Mile House, Cache Creek and Kamloops before heading to the Pack Highway crossing. The group is demanding an end to all COVID-19 mandates.
And a big development today. After more than two weeks, the border blockade in Coots, Alberta has been dismantled and traffic is flowing again in both directions there. Trucks and other vehicles have rolled out of the southern Alberta town. Protesters restricted access since January 29th. RCMP say the last of the demonstrators left voluntarily this morning. One day after RCMP arrested 13 people and seized firearms and ammunition. And Ottawa's police chief, Peter Slowly, has resigned after criticism that he did not do enough to stop COVID-19 protests that have paralyzed Canada's capital for 19 days and counting. The protests received national and international attention, with many focusing on the inability of police in Ottawa to stop demonstrators from violating laws and harassing Ottawa residents. Helping the homeless is usually seen as a good thing, but a Vancouver man claims he was fired for his generosity. What he did that lost him his job at a West End grocery store and how he's suing his former employer. Next on the NewsHour. A murder mystery that's baffled investigators for decades now has some answers. How the babes in the woods were finally identified later. And why the notorious Balmoral Hotel is about to be demolished. Coming up. Right now, though, a Vancouver man has launched legal action against Canada's biggest supermarket company, alleging he was fired from his job for helping the homeless. As Krista Dow reports, while the company fired him for theft, he says his actions were charitable and part of an informal arrangement that his bosses knew about and approved of. But often, you know, oranges and lots of things that we can feed people with in here. Justin Grant is no stranger to this downtown Vancouver back alley. The former grocery store manager knows all too well about the food being discarded. Perfectly fine. Missing a tip. Grant says during his four years with the Davy Street, your independent grocer, he'd sometimes donate items to the homeless in exchange for help. A way to de-escalate situations in the store. I don't know if you've ever seen a 14-year-old kid who lives on the street saying, I don't want to shoplift in your store, can I have a sandwich? That is absolutely heartbreaking. So I would say if you go and sweep the outside of the store, the sandwich is yours. His unique management style had been going on for years with no complaints. Then in October, the parent company Loblaws accused him of stealing $600 worth of product. And without warning, he was fired. In four years, I have never taken anything from that company. It was part of the culture that I was trying to build down there was caring. Grant has now filed a civil claim against Loblaws for the firing. In other occasions, with the store's knowledge, he donated some dog food to the local SPCA and provided a cake to one of the homeless persons on their birthday. His lawyer believes he was wrongfully dismissed. The most unfair aspect of this it was the fact that he had no reason at any point to believe that what he was doing was not okay. It really was someone who was trying to do good and uh, had a promising career ruined. Vancouver police tell us they were contacted in October and did conduct an investigation into the theft allegations, though in the end, no charges were recommended. I don't want my name associated with any kind of theft, and I just think that is truly unfair. It's sad more than anything else. None of the claims have been proven in court. Loblaws has not responded to our request for comment. Krista Dow, Global News. 
Well, you may have noticed you are now being charged a 10-cent deposit on a carton of milk. That's part of the province's campaign to reduce waste. Well, what you might not have spotted on your grocery bill, though, is another fee for container recycling. And that is catching some shoppers off guard. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea has been digging into this issue. What's up, Ann? Well, Chris, we've heard from numerous people who are noticing an extra fee in addition to the refundable 10-cent deposit for milk containers. We wanted to know what the fee was for and whether or not the consumer is paying extra at the checkout. As food prices soar, so does consumer frustration. It seems as if we're being gouged. It's why BC's recent move to charge a 10-cent refundable deposit on milk and milk alternative containers at the checkout is receiving mixed reviews. Everything is more expensive. That's the thing now. On February 1st, a refundable deposit of 10 cents for each eligible container came into effect by the province, all in an effort to reduce waste. You'll see the 10 cent charge on your grocery bill, but you'll also see something called the container recycling fee. It ranges from 1 to 16 cents depending on the type of milk or milk alternative container. And it's non-refundable. It came into effect February 1st. Together with the uh, deposit. Oh, okay. They never say anything about the uh, recycling fee. I wasn't quite sure until I saw when I bought my almond milk a couple days ago. It was surprising. BC's Ministry of Environment and Climate Change Strategy told Consumer Matters milk and milk substitute beverage containers, like all recyclable beverage containers, have a container recycling fee to allow for the recycling of those products. The fee is now visible to the consumer, but says a recycling fee has always been paid by the consumer prior to February 1st. In the past, the ministry says milk and milk substitute beverage containers were collected through the Recycle BC Blue Box program and funded by producers with recycling fees embedded in the retail price. Either way, with soaring dairy prices, some say the new recycling rules make it difficult for people on fixed incomes, especially seniors who have mobility issues. They're going to get a a carton of milk delivered and that carton of milk is going to have a deposit on it that they aren't able to redeem. And so it's going to just have the practical impact of increasing the cost of that milk for them. Milk and plant-based beverage containers can be refunded at any return at collection site, grocery store, or other retail outlet that accepts container returns for deposit. But critics argue the program isn't fair across the board. Not everyone is able to recoup deposits in rural and remote locations or in locations where, um, where these are not being picked up. Consumers are limited to bringing 24 empty eligible beverage containers per day to a retailer. And people can still place their milk containers in the blue box. You just won't get a refund. And return at the nonprofit organization which manages the recycling of beverage containers told Consumer Matters the container recycling fee for each beverage container category is reviewed annually to ensure that the appropriate break-even fees are charged. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All good information. Thanks very much, Ann. Just ahead, a warning about walking on North Shore trails. He laughed and he seemed amused by my distress. What makes you think it's okay? The search for a suspect who allegedly assaulted a woman near Lynn Headwaters. And a guilty verdict in the death of Karen Desi, what her former boyfriend admitted to. 
Delays here in Burnaby in all directions at the intersection of Willingdon and Deer Lake due to a crash that's northbound right at the intersection. With BCAA Car Insurance, it's easy to renew from anywhere. From ICBC Auto Plan renewals to exclusive savings, visit bcaa.com today. I'm sure she was sending Global One high above a crash in Burnaby. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. A BC woman who says she was sexually assaulted on a North Vancouver trail is criticizing the police response to her report. As Ramina Dea reports, she says she had to drive herself to the RCMP detachment when no one showed up after she called. Turn around. Turn around. What makes you think it's okay to smack me in the ass? Jane's gut instinct. Turn around, motherfucker. To capture the suspect on camera before he gets away. What makes you think it's okay? What makes you think it's okay to smack women in the ass? I felt angry. This is, that's not okay. You can't violate a woman's body. What makes a man think it's okay to grab a woman's body without consent? Look at me! Jane says she was sexually assaulted while hiking at Lynn Canyon Park Sunday around 1.30 p.m. Did you people see him do that? Varley Trail packed at the time. We are not using Jane's real name to protect her privacy. He grabbed my buttocks and I felt his fingers dig into that intimate part of my body. Jane calls 911. She says a dispatcher instructs her to stay put. An officer is on the way. But an hour passes. Still no police. Jane calls 911 again. She's told no one has been assigned yet. The dispatcher asks her to drive herself to the RCMP detachment in North Vancouver. I trusted that police were on their way. And so I felt incredibly disappointed and let down. You know where I'm going to go straight. Are you okay? <laughs> straight to the North Vancouver police officers. And as much as we've missed something in this case, we are sorry to her for that. The Mounties say it's unfortunate. A number of high priority life and safety calls came in at the same time as Jane's. Because this person had left and uh, the victim was no longer in view of this person, the assessment was made that there was no imminent risk to her personal safety. At the end of the day, police did not attend to a sexual assault. And I think that the implicit message is that women's safety is not a priority. We matter. Women matter. Jane also disheartened that no one from the public stopped to help. Keep your hands to yourself. She felt compelled to warn others to be careful. Police urging witnesses to come forward. The suspect, described as black or South Asian, 25 to 30 years old. Ramina Dea, Global News. Friends of Naomi Onatera made their voices heard outside a scheduled court appearance by the man accused in her death. Members of the group Justice for Naomi vowed to be present for every court appearance for Onotera's husband. 49-year-old Obnus Regis is charged with manslaughter and indignity to a body in the death of his wife. Onotera vanished August 28th and was last seen leaving her Langley City home. Regis was charged in her death in December. And a bail hearing had been scheduled to date before it was ultimately postponed. We're not going away and we'll still be here. And we're, we still think about Naomi every day. And, and we're going to be her voice for as long as we need to be. 
Well, there's so much people that care about Naomi and has affected her that they just want to show their support to her family and all of her friends. Regis is due back in court Thursday to set a date for trial. A man convicted of the random killing of an amateur photographer in Stanley Park has been sentenced to life in prison. In February of 2017, Lubomir Lubo Kunik died after being stabbed repeatedly while alone on the seawall. Eleven months later, Vancouver police arrested 33-year-old Tyler Lagamodier. Police say evidence presented in court confirmed that Lagamodier and Kunik did not know each other and that Lagamodier had gone to Stanley Park with the specific intent to kill someone. He'll be eligible for parole in 14 years. Guilty pleas in B.C. Supreme Court today from the former boyfriend of a young Surrey woman who was found dead in a burned-out vehicle back in 2017. As the Madagahi reports, it's the latest chapter in a tragic story that has torn apart two families. Is there anything you'd like to say about the verdict? No. The courtroom was booked for a potential second-degree murder trial expected to last weeks, if not months. But Tuesday morning, it took only 10 minutes for the accused Harjot Dio to plead guilty to manslaughter and indignity to human remains for the 2017 killing of 19-year-old Kirin Desi. Kirin's mother, her sister, and other family members stayed composed as they left the courthouse, perhaps one step closer to eventual justice. In August 2017, Desi's body was found in a burned-out SUV near 24th Avenue and 187th Street in Surrey. The Kwantlen Polytechnic University student was a transplant survivor. Her death immediately sparked a high-profile homicide investigation. Since her murder, we've been struggling with the reality that we can never see her sweet face again. Our broken hearts will never heal, and we have no answers as to why this has happened to her. Numerous appeals to the public for information, a home search, evidence released. Then, almost two years after her death, the shocking arrest of her ex-boyfriend, then 21-year-old Harjot Dio, at Vancouver's airport. Where was he going? He was in Vancouver. He landed in Vancouver. He had landed in Vancouver? Yeah. In the months that followed, four other Dio family members would be charged with crimes connected to the killing. Tuesday in Supreme Court, Harjot Dio, through his lawyer Richard Fowler, told the judge that he was with Kieran Desi the night she died, that he was in possession of a loaded, prohibited and restricted handgun that went off, according to him, accidentally, and that Desi was killed instantly, and that Harjot Dio took steps to conceal her remains. Now, by pleading guilty today, Dio gives up his right to a trial, and the case now goes before a judge for sentencing perhaps sometime this summer. At that point, I'm told by the family and the defense lawyer that there may be more public statements made. Amadagahi, Global News. Just ahead, million-dollar water views that are now basically worthless. It just takes over your life, and, and, and it just hangs over your head all the time. Residents reflect on three years with no resolution to the disaster that forced them from their homes. And in sports, the BC Lions make CFL history hiring a new coach. What she says about breaking barriers later. 
Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel, two lanes in both directions and minimal delays through Richmond and Delta. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trishy Wilson in Global One Tunnel. It's been exactly three years since 14 families were forced to leave their dream homes in a seashell neighborhood, and they are still no closer to a remedy. The latest development involves a local state of emergency that had been renewed every week since 2019, when this week it was abruptly stopped. Aaron, McCarthy, Aaron MacArthur spoke to some bewildered homeowners. Less a neighborhood more like a prison barbed wire fencing surrounding the sea watch subdivision in order to keep people out what's funny is uh, one of the neighbors has offered to if the district will provide him with material to fix the hole for three years homeowners have watched as their property has slowly become unlivable looted by vandals and left to the elements. And the financial part is unknown, always unknown. Um, we came here because this was our dream. So, The people who live here were forced out February 15th, 2019, after a series of sinkholes opened up in the neighborhood. The district of Seashelt declared the land unstable and a state of local emergency was imposed. This January, a Supreme Court justice ruled the endless renewal of that order was unlawful and it had to be removed. Only this week did the district and province comply. We're not sure what it actually means at this point in time, other than now the district has to have a plan of some sort going forward. The district of Seashelt continues to refuse comment, but in an email to Global News did say it is examining the most recent court order and what that means for the future of the Sea-Watch neighborhood. The state of local emergency, only part of the homeowner's complex legal battle. Who is ultimately liable for this mess may end up at the Supreme Court of Canada. Lower court rulings have often favored the district and developers, the province appealing the most recent decision that awarded compensation to two families. The Ministry of Municipal Affairs uh, can and is trying to work with the, uh, the regional district uh, on, on possible solutions or resolution um, to the situation there. The houses, worthless, assessed at just $2 each. Owners now resign to the fact they will never call them homes again. Aaron McCarthy, Global News. City of Vancouver has ordered the demolition of the notorious Balmoral Hotel on the downtown east side. The building has been undergoing a series of structural and safety assessments since it was expropriated by the city in December of 2020. Those inspections have found the building posed such major safety risks that demoli demolition is the only solution. Following the teardown and a cleanup, the plan is to build new supportive housing on the site. In health matters tonight, as COVID public health measures are lifted, some people are calling for an end to mask mandates for children, citing concerns about development. But experts say humans can interpret emotions in other ways beyond facial expressions, including through tone and body language. A study from late 2020 had kids look at pictures of people either with masks, sunglasses, or unobstructed. Researchers learned masks didn't negatively impact people to read emotions any more than sunglasses did. There's also no other data to suggest any short or long-term harms 
when it comes to masks, including psychological or physical harm. Up next, identifying the babes in the woods. I think giving them back their names is incredible. How modern science and one family's curiosity helped craft one of the Vancouver's oldest murder mysteries. Also just ahead, a startling find on the side of the road. How investigators are trying to put a finger on the shocking discovery. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at our forecast. And it's starting to feel a little like we're getting closer to spring, Christy. I don't want to, you know, jinx it or anything. Mm -hmm. Don't jinx it. (laughs) No, please don't. But you're right. I mean, across the interior regions, they've had well above seasonal values, and that's going to continue throughout the week. We're near seasonal, but we're starting to see the buds, and it is certainly feeling a little bit more spring-like. Today, though, we were hoping for more breaks of blue sky. It was a great day. Here's a look at some of your photos. Despite it being great, it was gorgeous. This one from Fort Langley, a beautiful, calm morning for the dragon boaters there. And look at this one looking out over Vancouver from this uh, evening. Here's a shot from the Soyuz region where they had patchy fog this morning, but still a beautiful day. It was a little cloudier later in the day, but uh, not a bad morning, that's for sure. Now, once again, tomorrow, we're going to see mostly clear skies across southern regions in particular. In the afternoon, we'll continue in that trend, but a system is going to drive down from the north. So tomorrow afternoon, we are expecting a bit more cloud cover and certainly overnight into our Thursday, that's when we're expecting precipitation to move in. Uh, Temperatures, for the most part, are going to be above seasonal, so we're really talking about just showers for lower down regions. Uh, it would be flurries, though, for higher elevations. And again, it's more towards tomorrow evening. So for our region, a nice day. Sunshine in the morning, some cloud cover in the afternoon. But we do have a chance of showers Wednesday night into our Thursday. Thursday and Friday, certainly not looking like a soaker. It's just bedrizzly or showery. It's not until Saturday that we're expecting more significant rain. Tonight's center windows, weather window, I love just because of the color in it. Unbelievable. Thank Thank you to Brian Dougal for that one. That's Point Atkinson uh, just uh, a couple of evenings ago as the sun was going down. That's gorgeous. Thank you, Christy. Such beautiful photos. All right. Now, this sounds like something you'd hear on Halloween, not Valentine's Day or around there. A very unusual discovery on the side of a Kelowna road yesterday, a severed finger. Police say the finger was discovered here in the 500 block of Hardy Road near Hemlock in Rutland. RCMP say a member of the public found it. The responding officer seized the finger as evidence with assistance from Kelowna RCMP Forensic Identification Services. Well, police have since identified the individual who lost their finger, saying they are alive but will not confirm if they are known to police or if it's known how this person lost their finger only that the investigation is active and ongoing. Very unusual. And I can see the grimace on Squire's face. There's a lot of things I don't want to find when I'm going for a walk. (laughs) Don't look at the sidewalk then. A finger (laughs) would be one of them. By the way, did we ever find out, remember when this whole thing with the feet were showing up? Did we ever find out about that? Lots of theories. Okay, all right. Lots of theories. Okay, this this you know what this conversation is getting a little strange. Uh, the Canucks will uh, get Quinn Hughes back this week after over two weeks off, and of course having COVID as well. But Bruce Boudreaux isn't worried that he'll be off his game. And there's some some players that can take um, maybe 16 days off and be just great because they are great. Quinn Hughes will meet the team for their game Thursday in San Jose. He has been in the U.S. In COVID protocol. 
And the babes in the woods, Stanley Park's seven-decade murder mystery, finally solved. Sure, be nice to see a full house when the Canucks finally come home, but they got a game before they get there. Yes, they have to go down to uh, Northern California. And as long as Quinn Hughes knows the way to San Jose, he will be back with the Canucks on Thursday against the Sharks after spending the last week in the United States for COVID protocol. He came up positive during his All-Star break vacation. The Canucks didn't do too badly without him, winning two of three. But aside from Thatcher Demko, the Vancouver Canucks don't miss any player more than they miss Quinn Hughes. And despite being away from the team for over two weeks, Bruce Boudreaux believes Hughes will be his old self immediately. He's skating, and that's all we can ask him to do. And he's working out. And I, you know what? Something tells me there's some people in this world that, can, that can't take one day off. And then there's some, some players that can take um, maybe 16 days off and be just great because they are great and uh, I'm hoping that Quinn's in that category well he's no longer Sid the kid he's now Sid middle age man but tonight he hit a milestone his 500th NHL goal and actually I kind of thought hasn't he already got to 500 but he's had so many injuries over his career he got into it tonight 500 goals Malkin was in on that which makes sense and the Penguins won this game 5-4 in overtime, but it was Sidney Crosby's night in Pittsburgh. Well, it's not just the Vancouver Canucks breaking glass ceilings these days. The BC Lions have made Tanya Walter a defensive assistant coach, the first woman to be part of the coaching staff for a CFL team. She has coached high school football in Edmonton, and her job in BC will be mainly working with the coaches on all aspects of the game. I think... Um and today's CFL is to um, get some newer people in here in the door and, and grow them as they go. And that's no different than Tristan Dice last year or other people I've hired in the past is I think that's part of the deal is to get the mix of um, experienced people and then getting new people in the door that have the right attitude and right work ethic and those things and then uh, allow them to grow as they go. I went from a player to a coach to then working administration, and I've really just followed the road that I felt like I needed to be able to move things forward and improve the sport as a whole. So where I'll be in 10 years, um, I don't know. I would hope to be a head coach one day, um, but I'll just take it as it comes. Vancouver Whitecaps will be down in San Diego very soon. They'll be back home to continue preparations for the regular season. In their exhibition games, Vanny Sartini, well, he thinks they haven't gone too badly, but he'd like to see some more goal scoring. I'm happy and the team is responding well. Uh, the quality of the play has been good. We need to improve in the last third of the field, to be honest, because in the last two games, I think we created a lot of chances, but we uh, we we didn't capitalize on that so yeah I'm 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 I'm, I'm happy now the White Castle play an inter-squad game this Saturday at BC Place the first time this year they'll be in their house also the first time they'll play on the new carpet because for the past two months BC Place has changed out its old turf which it had for about six years 
for 125,000 square feet of new artificial grass. So we have uh, Field Turf, um, which is a leading brand of turf in, and it's uh, in many of the venues in North America. So I believe it's in all the MLS stadiums that have turf, seven NFL stadiums, and most of the CFL stadiums as well. The field is laid out in strips and then sewn together, and once it's down, it does not come out. When we do a trade show or a concert, we have a cover that is placed on top to ensure that the field is protected. And if you think laying down this much turf is a job, and it is, how about covering it with sand? Sand that supports the artificial grass and keeps the blades from getting bent or wrinkled. But I can tell you that there is two million pounds of sand on this turf field. We uh, had truckload after truckload in here uh, laying the sand once the, once the uh, turf was installed. And while the new turf is nice, the best part about this story is what's being done with the old turf. BC Place is sending it to various organizations, starting with the Abbotsford Cardinals baseball team, whose facility was destroyed by floodwaters. The quality of the stuff that we're getting, is, it's excellent. Um, again, it was a lot of labor that came in and people stepping up and volunteering their time. Um, we can't you know, thank BC Place and the people behind the scenes. And it gets our student athletes a place to start training again. Um, and high-end quality turf back in, into usable space. The idea being that every inch of the old turf of BC Place Stadium will find a new home. And now we're evaluating other options for the remaining uh, turf surface. We're committed to ensuring that none of it ends up in the landfill. Good for them. Good idea. Uh, snowboarder Marietta O'Dine returned to her hometown of Prince George today and in her hand was two bronze medals from the Winter Olympics in Beijing. She won them an individual snowboard cross and the mixed team snowboard cross as well. Part of the 17 medals that Canada has won so far. Oh man, I've been away for five months. I haven't been home once. So honestly, it's it's crazy and to come home to all of this it's it's just amazing i am very excited for some a and i'm very excited to see my friends and have some downtime with them a little bit um but yeah it's good uh, see she dominated the five rings now she wants some onion rings <laughs> there you go who, you know, all Olympians deserve teen burgers or papa burgers or, or whatever it is. Okay, well, now very, I'm hungry. Very cool. Thanks, Squire. Up next, the babes in the woods finally get their names back. The identities of two children killed in Stanley Park have finally been revealed nearly seven decades later. The babes in the woods case captivated the public and Vancouver police detectives ever since their bodies were discovered. As Ted Chernecki reports, modern DNA technology helped give the boys names. Two boys aged six and seven were murdered with an axe in Stanley Park, probably in 1947. But their skeletal remains weren't discovered until January 1953. We also know that no matter how long it takes, there's always someone or something, even a microscopic piece of DNA taken from a seven-year-old bone fragment that can lead to a break in the case. This photo shows one of the two murdered boys with his older sister, Diane. All her life, Diane wanted to know why her two brothers simply disappeared one day. Even though this family member did their best to talk about the boys and try to get the story, the only response they got from family was silence. 
The boy's mother, seen here on the right in a fur coat, told family the boys were taken by social services because the family was so poor. Vancouver writer and author Eve Lazarus made contact with distant relatives. They told her about their extensive search of online genealogy websites and how before Diane died, they had the foresight to keep a DNA sample of hers. We were able to coordinate with the family that was contacted to upload the DNA of a deceased family member who had uh, taken a DNA test before they died who was a close match. A half-sister match to the boys. That cracked the case. The family dug out old photo albums. Murdered were Derek Busquay. That's him in the back row, second from the right, in this school photo from Henry Hudson Elementary in Kitsilano. Also murdered his younger brother, David, seen here with the dark curly hair and being held by Diane. The science behind this development is nothing short of spectacular. The fact that they were able to get a DNA sample at all from these bone fragments, we're looking at 70-year-old bones that had been out in the elements for at least five years, They'd been handled by different people. They'd been on display at the Vancouver Police Museum. For almost 70 years, police have been trying to solve this case using various techniques, including a crime scene recreation. They always believed the boys were killed by their mother, who then committed suicide after. But here she is, in the middle of this photo taken in 1996, the year she died at age 78. In fact, who killed the boys may never be known. I don't know if we'll ever find out who murdered the two boys, and I don't know if we need to. I think giving them back their names is incredible. Still unclear is if the two boys were ever taken into custody by social services. Police say they continue that part of the investigation. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Still some questions to be answered, obviously, in that one. What a story. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's give Christy the last word on weather. We could see a little bit of drizzle overnight tonight, but overall we're expecting some breaks of blue sky tomorrow morning and then later in the day we'll start to see increasing cloud. Overall though, tomorrow not a bad day before the cloud and showers and drizzle move back in Thursday, Friday. Enjoy that sunshine and thanks for watching everyone. Have a great night. Good night all.